Well, friend, I want to ask you this morning, do you have a favorite song? Do you have a favorite song? I want you to take your pen and write at the top of your bulletin somewhere or maybe uh, something that's there, maybe a little piece of paper in front of you, maybe your bulletin or your sermon notes. I want you to take 20 seconds here and I want you to write there at the top of your paper, I want you to write down one of your favorite songs. Go ahead, take your pen, I want you to do that right now. Write down one of your favorite songs. Friend, while you are writing down that song, I wonder if you would think about this question with me. Why is it that you like that song so much? Why is it that you like that song so much? What is it about that song that, that makes you keep coming back to it over and over again? You know, family, there really is something about songs, isn't there? Songs, the way that they seem to just reach down and touch us. They touch us in the, in the deepest parts of who we really are. Have you ever thought about that? Why is it that, that songs do that? Why do they touch us and affect us so greatly? Well, family, I would estimate that songs touch us so deeply because they, they speak to who we really are on the inside. Songs and music really gets down. It cuts through all the surface stuff. And it really starts to get down into the insides of, of who we really are. You and I typically like a song when we identify with it in some way. We identify with the lyrics typically that are in that song. A, a writer has written these lyrics and they touch us because we, we identify with the feelings that that lyric writer was feeling when he or she wrote those lyrics. And we too have faced many of the same kinds of feelings that are present there in that song. Talking about feelings of, of great uh, joy or happiness, maybe feelings of sorrow, maybe feelings of anxiety, or maybe confidence or even worry. It's amazing how songs can reach down and really touch the, the reality of who we are as people. You know, family, it's for many of those same kinds of reasons. It's for those many reasons why so many Christians down through the centuries have called the book of Psalms their favorite book of the Bible. Now, back in the Hebrew Bible, the original text of Psalms, the book was simply entitled Praises. Praises. That was the Hebrew title of that book. Now, in our English Bible, we have it titled with the word Psalms. But that actually, that title comes from a, a Greek translation of the Old Testament, which gave us this word psalm, which actually has this idea of a, of a denoting of the plucking of strings. That's what the word psalm means. So in other words, this, this wonderful book of the Bible that is the largest book of the Bible, this book of psalms, is actually this giant collection of poetic Songs. That's what Psalms is all about. It's this huge book of 150 poetic worship songs. And they speak to the human heart. They speak to the real issues of life. Not only does the Psalms speak to the, the horizontal and these temporal realities in which you and I live each day, but Psalms also gets into these vertical realities, these transcendent realities of how you and I are, are living and existing and having this relationship with this awesome eternal God. 
family. It was the great Bible expositor. His name was John Stott. John Stott said this, that the reason people are so drawn to the Psalms is because they speak the universal language of the soul. I think that's right. I think that's exactly right. Family, in the book of Psalms, we find almost every possible human experience being unpacked. We see triumphs. We see troubles. We see complaints. We see confidence. We see prayers. And we see praise. We see all of these amazing feelings put on display in the book of of Psalms, And that is why the book of Psalms has been such a rich, treasured book for Christians, really for generations. And friends, with that, I want to invite you to take your Bible and come with me now to Psalm 121. Psalm 121 in this message today that I have entitled, My Help Comes from Heaven. Now believers, one of the common anxieties that Christians will typically share with one another is a feeling is a feeling as if we're, we're making this Christian life journey all alone. And there are some days when all of us as believers feel like that main character there in the Pilgrim's Progress. You remember his name was Christian. And Christian was making this long journey off to the celestial city. And sometimes we can feel like that, that we're making this long journey. And we would ask this question, am I making this journey all alone? Am I doing this all by myself? Is my Christian life journey like that famous song from Simon and Garfunkel, which says this, I am a rock, I am an island. Remember that song? Friends, we're going to look at a song today, a, a praise song written to God's glory here in Psalm 121. And the writer of this psalm is going to show us, friends, that we are not a rock, we are not an island, we are not alone in this Christian life journey. In fact, this ancient worship song is going to show us how God is with us. And this psalm is going to unpack for us four of God's qualities. Four qualities of this amazing God who has promised that He is going to go with us in our life journey. So I want to talk with you today, friend, about these four characteristics that just come, just come erupting off the pages of, of Psalm 121. These great qualities of God. This great, amazing God who is going to go with us on our journey. We're going to look at these four qualities today, friends. Four qualities of God. Four characteristics of God that will bring us so much joy to know that He's with us on this journey. So let me show you the first one. Scripture is going to show us this. Number one, God is my powerful helper. We're going to see this in the Word of God today, that God is my powerful helper. Are you with me now? Psalm 121. Psalm 121, beginning in verse 1, the psalmist writes, I will lift up my eyes to the hills. From whence comes my help? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Now, Christian friends, we're going to be looking at Psalm 121 today, but I want you to understand that Psalm 121 is part of a group. It's part of a group of psalms, these unique psalms, that actually run from Psalm 120 all the way up to Psalm 134. And these psalms are in a group together, and they are called the Songs of Ascent. Sometimes they're also called Songs of Degrees. 
Now you may see one of those titles actually printed in your Bible right there, right underneath of Psalm 121 in the bold print. Your Bible may actually say that, Songs of Ascent or A Song of Degrees. Now these are special psalms. And for many of these songs of ascent, we do know who the author was. We know that King David wrote four of these songs of ascent. We know King Solomon, he wrote uh, one. David wrote four. But ten of them, ten of these psalms are anonymous. And Psalm 121 is one of those psalms that had an anonymous author. Again, your Bible has that little title there, A Song of Ascents, or it might say A Song of Degrees, and that title was actually part of the original Hebrew text. These were special praise songs that Jewish people would sing as they were journeying back to Jerusalem. These Jewish pilgrims were coming back to Jerusalem three times each year for various feasts. Now, many of you know that Hazleton, Hazleton is one of the highest elevation cities in Pennsylvania. Hazleton is approximately 1,600 feet above sea level, which means just about any which way you are coming, you are going to go up into Hazleton. In fact, it always kind of wakes me up in that last few miles driving on Interstate 81 south when I'm coming Interstate 81 South, there's this huge long stretch where you are going up. You are coming up into Hazleton. And of course, that's why Hazleton has been nicknamed the Mountain City. It's one of the highest elevation cities in our entire state. Well, guess what? Jerusalem is like that. Jerusalem is a very high city. In fact, it's even higher than Hazleton. Jerusalem sits up in the mountains about 2,500 feet above sea level. And it's nestled way up there in the mountains. I actually remember riding on the big tour bus going up into Jerusalem back in 2007. And I remember the pitch of this tour bus was way up in the air. And I was sitting about three quarters of the way back in this big tour bus. And I could see the floor of the bus was rising up in front of me. We were really going up into Jerusalem. Well, these Jewish worshipers, these Jewish travelers would be coming from all these different places, and they're coming into Jerusalem to participate in some of these special holiday feasts. They were traveling up into Jerusalem. And so these were many of the songs. They were songs of ascent, songs of degrees, rising higher and coming up into these uh, mountains where ultimately Jerusalem was located. Now, friend, I want you to imagine for a moment that you're one of those pilgrims. You're one of these people that's making a journey. You're a Jewish pilgrim, and you live out in the outer land somewhere, and you are coming back to Jerusalem to participate in one of these special holidays. You're down in the low-lying country, and you're traveling along, but Jerusalem is your goal. They're up in the mountains, and you see the city there. You see the mountains in front of you, but you begin to feel mm, a little twinge of anxiety. And you feel a little worry begins to bubble up in your heart because you know intermixed in and among those mountains are thieves, robbers, wicked people, highwaymen looking to cause trouble for these travelers, looking to lighten their wallets. You might remember a story that Jesus told in Luke chapter 10. 
In Luke 10, Jesus told this story of a man who went down out of Jerusalem. He was on his way to Jericho. And what happened? He got jumped. He got jumped by thieves. They stripped him of his clothes. They robbed this guy. They left him for dead. Ultimately, who comes to the rescue but a good Samaritan? Family, you need to understand something. Back in Bible times, that was not just some fictional story, okay? That was real life. Up and amongst those mountains, yes, was Jerusalem, the holy city. Every traveler was longing to get there. They had so much anticipation to be there. But they also knew up in those mountains on the way there were troublemaking people, wicked people, highwaymen who would, who would rob you and wound you, hurt you, leave you for dead. And so every traveler felt that little, mm, little twinge of anxiety. So look at verse 1. That question's in this traveler's mind. I'm going up into the hills. I'm going up into the mountains. Where will my help come from? Literally, he's asking, from where? From where is my help going to come? This is such an important journey. Who will help me? Notice the answer, friends. Verse 2, my help comes from the Lord. Notice how that word Lord is in all capitals. My help comes from Yahweh, the true God, the covenant-keeping God, the God who made a promise to His people Israel, that he would, he would always be their God, they would always be His people. God made that special promise, the promise-keeping God. The Lord will be the provider of my help. Now friends, did you notice this? The moment that God is thought of, the moment that Yahweh is brought to mind, what is so significant about God's character? What is significant about Yahweh's character? Is He some weak God? Some powerless deity? No way. Yahweh is the God of all gods. Yahweh is mighty. He is strong. Look what the psalmist says there. He is the maker of heaven and earth. Christians, that phrase, maker of heaven and earth, that's so important. That is such a profound truth that you and I need to grab a hold of with both hands. This is a truth that sets our God apart from all the other false deities. This is an amazing statement that shines the light of truth about who our God is. He's a mighty God. He's a sovereign God. He's the one who rules it all. He rules all the various parts of the universe. He's the God over heaven. He's the God over all earth. Why? Because He's the creator of all that stuff. He's the ruler of all the realms because He's the creator of all those realms. Listen, don't, miss, don't, don't underestimate how important this statement is, friend. This is so fundamental about what we believe about the Lord God. And this statement shows up in some of our most powerful creeds. Some of our most famous statements in church history have this truth taught in it. Some of you maybe are familiar with that very famous statement of faith. It's one of the oldest of all of the, of the Orthodox Christian faith. You have maybe heard or memorized portions of the Apostles' Creed. You ever remember hearing about the Apostles' Creed? It's a very old, famous statement of faith, and it begins like this. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth. Christian friends, just like the psalmist, you and I need to realize this truth. We need to rejoice in this truth that the place from which our help comes 
is not a human place. It's not a human place of help, but a heavenly place. From the heavens comes my help. Not from persons or other people, places, or things. No, but from the Creator. Look in your notes. I gave you Psalm 46, verse 1, which says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. In your notes, I gave you excuse me, Hebrews 13, 6. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Friend, I want you to sink your teeth into this great truth today that your God is a helper. And He's not just some ordinary helper. He's the all-powerful helper. He's the one who can bring His almighty help into your life. He's there with His unlimited power. He's there with His unlimited wisdom. He comes to you with His assistance that no one else can give. He's the God who spoke heaven and earth into existence. That's the power of God to help you in your life's journey. Now let's move on. I want to show you a second characteristic of God that shows up in Psalm 121. Something we can rejoice in today. The psalmist will show us this. Number two, God is my vigilant keeper. Number two, God is my vigilant keeper. Would you look with me? We're looking at this amazing praise song. It's a psalm of praise to God in verse 3. He, speaking of God, He will not allow your foot to be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. Now, friends, there's something interesting that happens here. Maybe you caught it. Maybe you didn't. But in verses 3 and 4, I want you to see how the speaker or the writer makes a transition here from speaking about himself to now speaking towards another person. Did you see this? Verses 1 and 2, remember this? Verses 1 and 2, I will lift up my eyes to the hills. From whence comes my help. But now, verses 3 and 4, there's a shift. You see it? He will not allow your foot to be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Well, what's happening here? Well, maybe the psalmist was speaking to another member of his traveling party. Maybe he's speaking to a, a family member or a close friend who's making the journey some Bible scholars think maybe the psalmist is just writing this lyric where he's talking to himself, where he's trying to encourage himself, speaking these encouraging words to himself to try to build up his own confidence in the Lord. Maybe there's just this internal dialogue that's going on. But family, here's the important point I want you to see. There's another part of God's character here. And the part that, God, uh, that the psalmist points us to here is that God is a vigilant keeper. God's a vigilant keeper. I hope you see this. The psalmist wants us to see that God is careful to keep us under His watchful care. Did you see verse 3? He, speaking of God, He will not allow your foot to be moved. Hmm, that's interesting. Now I know some of your Bible translations have a little different phrasing there, a little different word choice. Some of your Bibles, instead of having the word moved, your Bible has the word slip. He will not allow your foot to slip. You see, back in Bible times, family, roads and paths were sometimes very treacherous. You have to remember, back in Bible times, there were no 
guardrails. All right, there were no handrails. There weren't any of the safety devices that we have today on walking paths. No, back in the Bible times, roads could often be very steep, very rocky, very treacherous. Some of them would even go right up alongside a cliff. So think about this. You're traveling. You, you've got your, maybe your spouse is with you, your kids, you're traveling up to Jerusalem. You've got sufficient supplies that you're carrying on your back. You've got your family with you. Maybe you've got a pack animal that's traveling with you. You're making this journey, and you're going up the side of this ridge of a mountain, and it's going alongside a cliff, and everything's all rocky, and there's nothing to hold on to, and you're just hoping and praying that you don't slip. If you slip, if you stumble, if you fall, what happens? You would fall to your death. So look at this picture. The psalmist is telling us here, painting this picture. Take heart. God will not allow your foot to slip. Now, Christian friends, I want you to know something here. I think the psalmist is painting us a bigger picture here. I think the Word of God is giving us a bigger picture here than just speaking about this literal traveler, this one traveler who's making this journey on the way to Jerusalem. I think there's a bigger concept that you and I can be encouraged with here is that God's vigilant watch is over His people for their whole life's journey. God is watching out for His people every step of the way throughout their whole life's journey. Christian friend, aren't you on a journey? The answer is yes. You are on a journey and so am I. It's a journey from here to heaven. And we're on this journey together, Christians, and God has given us His promise. He is watching over us. He is watching us in our journey so vigilant. He's so vigilant to take care of us. He isn't indifferent to what you're going through. He isn't disconnected to the various things that are going to unfold in your life's journey. No, He is watching. He is seeing. He is vigilantly guarding your steps. He, know, he knows exactly what's transpiring in your journey. He is monitoring your steps Oh, so closely. Friend, look in your notes there. I gave you Proverbs chapter 2, verse 8, which is such an encouraging scripture. Proverbs 2, 8 says, He guards the paths of justice. He preserves the way of His saints. Proverbs 3, 26 says, For the Lord will be your confidence. He will keep your foot from being caught. Oh, friend, doesn't that encourage you today? What encouragement that is for this journey that you and I are on, that the Lord is our vigilant keeper. And I want you to take notice too, the end of verse 3 there, I love this. He who keeps you, I love this, will not slumber. Now, of course, you know what that word keep means. That idea of keeping has the idea of guarding, protecting, watching over. So what's Scripture saying? That's what God's doing for me. That's what He's doing for all of His people. He's guarding. He's protecting. He's watching over. But notice what the psalmist says. The manner in which God does that. Yes, God is watching, guarding, keeping, protecting. But how does He do it? Did you notice? The manner in which God does so is never one of slumber. That has the idea, of course, of being lethargic. Being a little sleepy. A little drowsy. Some of you adults out there this morning, you know what it is like to work a graveyard shift. Some of you know what it's like to have to stay up all night for whatever reason. 
Maybe you had a sick child who was throwing up through the night. Or maybe you were over at a friend's house helping them with some issue. And you happened to be up all the way through the night. You didn't get your normal sleep. And now it's the next morning. It's 7 a.m. It's time to go home. And guess what? You have to drive. And that is one of the worst feelings that a human being will ever experience is getting behind the wheel of this car and having to drive when you are so drop-dead tired. You know what it's like. I see you smiling at me. Your head, your head starts bobbing, doesn't it? Your head's bobbing. Your eyes are getting all blurry and they're itchy and your mind is so foggy that sometimes you drive two miles and you don't remember. All of a sudden, you, you kind of snap back and you don't realize, where have I been driving for the last five minutes? Your mind is so foggy. Your mind is so preoccupied with, with drowsiness and wanting to go to sleep. That is such a dangerous situation to be in, isn't it? In that situation, you, you are not in any good condition to preserve or guard your own life. I remember in college, I, I worked with a guy in college three different times he had fallen asleep behind the wheel. And all three times, he totaled his car. Three times, fell asleep. Three times, crashed the car. Here was a guy who, who really could not preserve his own life. I mean, we would, we would say to him, it's a miracle you're alive to be in three horrible crashes such that the cars were demolished and yet you're still alive. This guy could not preserve his own life. But friend, listen, we can't say that about God. We can't say that about God. God never gets drowsy. Amen. Thank you, Lord. You never get tired. His mind never gets drowsy, never clouded, never, never sleepy. His, his mind never gets foggy. He never gets tired. He's always there. He's always vigilantly, vigilant to the watch. Look at I, in your notes, I gave you Isaiah 40, verse 28. Isaiah writes in chapter 40, Have you not known? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the Creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary. Friend, take heart today. Christian, you are God's child. You've put your trust in Jesus Christ, and God is your Father. And He's watching over you. And He's given you His promise that vigilance is His manner of watching over you. He's watching you. He's keeping you. He's guarding you around the clock, day or night. Now listen, does that mean, does that, mean that if something ever bad happens to you, that somehow God was off duty? Was God not around? Was He uh, not paying attention if something bad comes into your life? Well, well certainly not. We know what the rest of the Bible teaches, that there are times that God allows hard things. God does allow, by His grace, by His love for us, He does allow hard things to come into our lives, challenging things to come our way. Why? So that we could increase in our faith, to increase in our trust, to learn how to trust Him more, to put our hope in Him, to challenge our patience, and to help us grow in our walk with Him. But the point of these verses, family, that we're talking about is simply this. I love how Dr. D.A. Carson phrased it. I gave you this in your notes. D.A. Carson said, The perils, the perils are unknown, but the security is certain. Listen, Christian, 
I don't know what's going to happen tonight, and neither do you. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, next week, next year, but we ought to be confident we don't go it alone. We don't go it alone. God is vigilant. He's a vigilant protector. He's watching over us. He, he never tires watching over us as individuals. He never tires watching over all of His people. The psalmist rejoiced there. God is ever vigilant to guard, to watch His people Israel. And friends, we can rejoice that as part of His New Testament flock, God is watching over us. God is watching over His church, His people, the body of Christ. Oh, praise God. He can watch the whole flock, and He can watch the individuals. And He can do it all with perfect vigilance. Now, let's move on to a third characteristic, okay? We're talking about this God. He's a, he's a powerful helper. He's a vigilant keeper. Here's a third aspect that the psalmist brings out for our rejoicing. Number three, God is my nearby protector. He's my nearby protector. Verse 5, the psalmist writes, The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. Now family, what's so amazing about this psalm is that we find this word keep, and it keeps showing up again and again in reference to God. You get verse 3, you see that word keep. If you trace down through the end of the psalm, you will see that same word keep, or some derivative of the word keep, is used in the psalm six times. Remember, Yahweh, we just said a moment ago, Yahweh, the Lord God, not only is He the whole keeper of the people, the corporate, He keeps the corporate aspect, He watches the whole flock, He also watches the individual. But now in verses 5 and 6, we get another facet of God's character. Look at it. He is a nearby protector. Now in verse 5, we get this picture out of nature. And the picture is that of shade. Shade. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. Now, listen, everybody knows what you need most on a blistering summer day. All right? You go over to Ocean City, New Jersey. You go down to Myrtle Beach. It's this blistering summer day. Everyone who has any common sense knows what do you need. You need an umbrella. Why? What does an umbrella provide? It provides shade. It provides that much-needed protection. Listen, not only will shade protect you from sunburn, guess what? It can prevent, it can prevent other more life-threatening things too, like sunstroke, heat stroke, heat exhaustion. And there are some things that the sun's power can do to you. And so you need that shade. I remember family back my first summer year, my very first summer here at Grace Baptist. I was an associate pastor. Heather, myself, Pastor McMinn, we took a big group of teenagers down to Ocean City, Maryland for just a one day and a half kind of a little getaway. So we're down on this trip and we had two feisty young guys in our youth group. I'm not going to tell you their names. We had two feisty young guys in our youth group who said, I don't need any sunscreen. No, 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 I don't want to wear any sunscreen. And, you know, Heather's being a great mom, and she's saying, now, you kids, you need to put your sunscreen on. It's a blistering hot day. And these two guys, no, they were too cool. They're too cool. They said, we're going to get tan. Well, let me tell you, something happened by the end of that day, but I tell you what, it wasn't tan. It was purple. I mean, these guys got roasted. 
I mean, these two guys, both of them naturally were kind of very fair skinned, very, very extra white like me. And they got out in the sun and they were in that Ocean City sun all day. And I'm telling you, coming home that night, those guys were riding in the car like this. I mean, it was bad. They, they, were, they were purple. And I'm not exaggerating. They were turning purple. That's the worst sunburns I have ever seen in my life. Well, friend, look what the psalmist does here, telling us this picture. God is our protection. God is our daily protection. Not only is He our protection, but He's the protection. I love this. At your right hand. At your right hand. What's that mean? It means proximity. It means it's close. Your right hand, it's right there. It's close at hand. He's a protector. Close at hand. It's nearby. He's near. He's accessible. I remember back in high school as a ninth grader, there was a kid in my youth group who was a senior, and he was a really great uh, bodyboarder, beach kind of guy. And one day, my friend Dale and I took a day trip to Ocean City, Maryland, where we went a lot during the summers. And we got down there, and we got out on the beach, and it was 9 a.m., and oh no, we forgot our umbrella. It's blistering hot day, and the only shade to be found was all the way back, some 300 yards away, at the boardwalk. So we'd be out in the sun, and we're roasting. And I said, man, I've got to get out of this sun. And then guess what I have to do? i got to walk. i got to walk the length of practically three football fields to get back near the boardwalk to find some shade. Friend, was the shade available to me? Yeah, but guess what? It wasn't near. It wasn't near. It wasn't at my right hand. It wasn't accessible in my, in my place of need. But the Bible says God's our near protector. He's, he's right near us. He's ever near. He's at our right hand. He's right here in your greatest place of need. He will always be there for you. No matter where you go, no matter what you do, no matter where your journey takes you, the Lord's there. He's there at your right hand. He's your nearby protector. He's guarding you. He's protecting you. He's right there. Just like the lifeguard at the beach has that big lifeguard chair right there. It's right there on the beach, near at hand. That's the way the Lord is for you, Christian. He's the nearby protector. He's right there with that loving care. He's right there at hand. Verse 6 tells us, it doesn't matter what's going on, whether it's the dangers that come by day or whether it's the notorious nights there in the moonlight. God's always going to be your protector. The metaphor is, is that He's there around the clock. That's the picture. Around the clock, day or night, God is there with His around the clock, nearby protection. There are other psalms that teach this same truth. Psalm 91 is another famous one. That God gives His protecting help, whether night or day. You remember this little phrase from Psalm 91? You shall not be afraid of the terror by night, nor of the arrow that flies by day. Friend, what is this? This is just a, a picture of God's around-the-clock care. His nearness to protect His people. Listen, Christian, don't you ever do it. Don't you ever do it even for one moment. Don't you ever buy into the lie that God doesn't care about what's going on in your life. That is a lie from hell. To try to convince you that God's off somewhere that God's off in the universe doing something else, that somebody else's life's more important, He doesn't know what's going on in your life. Friend, don't you ever believe that. Don't ever say that. The Bible says that God is near. We call that in theology, we call that 
His imminence. Yes, God is a transcendent God. He's above space and time. He's all-powerful. He's supreme and He rules over all. He's a transcendent God. But guess what? He's imminent. And that means near. Near. He's always near. He's everywhere in His creation. He is near you, friend. Every moment, every day, every night, He's guarding you. He's protecting you. He's keeping you because you are His beloved child. Friend, grab a hold of that truth today. Let that encourage your heart. So what are we saying? Number one, God's my powerful helper. Number two, God's my vigilant keeper. Number three, God's my nearby protector. Now, fourthly, Number four, God is my eternal preserver. God's my eternal preserver. We see this in verses 7 and 8. This is the close of the psalm. Verse 7, The Lord shall preserve you from all evil. He shall preserve your soul. The Lord shall preserve your going out and your coming in from this time forth and even forevermore. Family, I want to point something out here to you. You're, if you're using the New King James, which is what I'm reading from this morning, the New King James translation chooses the word preserve in verses 7 and 8. You see that word preserve a couple of times there. And that's an acceptable translation. But the Hebrew word, the Hebrew word is the same word that earlier was translated as the word keep. Keep or keeper. So these verses that we're studying here today, family, it's almost like a staircase. You're going up this staircase higher and higher, and you're going up and you're ascending, seeing the greater and the greater and the greater characteristics of God's care for His people. So we get up to the top of the staircase there in verses 7 and 8. What do we see? What do we see? Not only does God guard, not only does God guide and protect, but now we're at the top of the staircase, and guess what? The psalmist says He will do that for all eternity. Don't miss this. Notice this. It's so special. Maybe you'll underline it in your Bible. It's the word shall. Shall. Remember verses 5 and 6, the Lord is your keeper, as in present tense. He is, he is the shade at your right hand. Again, present tense. But now you get to verses 7 and 8. Now the word shall is used. Now we're talking future. Shall is what is yet to come. Shall is what's still coming. The Lord shall preserve you from evil. He shall preserve your soul. He shall preserve your going out, your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Oh, believer, does that excite you? From this moment forward until eternity, He shall preserve you to have God's protection, to have His keeping of my life as I'm going through this journey, not just for now, but all the way. Forever, forever until I'm with Him. Oh, believers, how much more confidence do you need this morning that He is with you now and He is with you forever? He shall preserve you in this journey. Friends, this is such comfort for us. We can't help but gain assurance by this and such confidence by this. It ought to stir up such praise in us today, such reassurance, such rejoicing. You and I are travelers we're like Christian in the Pilgrim's Progress. We're on the way to the celestial city. And we wonder, am I ever going to make it? Yes! You will make it. And the Lord shall make it so. He shall preserve you to eternity.
Now, as we get to this conclusion here, family of the psalm, I want to just point out one little device here that's working in this Hebrew poetry. I want to just show you this. Sometimes in Hebrew poetry, something occurs in the poem that's called an inclusion. An inclusion. Sometimes it's also called an inclusio. Now what this basically means is, is that you have similar words or similar ideas that open the psalm and close the psalm. And when you see similar words or ideas at the beginning and the end, that's called an inclusion. And what it is, it's almost like a beautiful set of, 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 uh, of bookends that hold it all together. And notice, notice, let me show you the inclusion. The psalmist opens with that question. Where will my help come from? Where will my help come from? And now you have at the end... The Lord shall preserve your going and your coming. Believer, there's such conviction here that you should develop that God loves you, that God cares for you. And that truth is not a sandcastle built by the sea. This is not a truth that's built out of sinking sand. No, you can have rock-solid confidence today, Christian, that the Lord is present. He's present to help you keep you, protect you, preserve you, and He's going to do it now. And the Bible says He will do it forevermore. Oh, friend, He is with you on your journey, so be encouraged. Now, maybe you're here today. Maybe you're not a Christian. Friend, I would ask you, has there ever been a day in your life when you have entrusted the care of your life, your journey, your soul to the Lord God? Friend, I'm asking, have you ever put your trust in the Lord God? If you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, well, friend, the sad reality is that this psalm is not describing your present journey. This psalm is not describing your current relationship with God if you don't know Jesus as Savior. The Bible says if you don't know Jesus as Savior, if you are not a Christian, if you've never trusted in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, then God's relationship towards you, friend, is not one that we've read here today. God's disposition towards you at the moment, if you are still in your sins, His disposition towards you is not as this loving Father, but rather He is to you, friend, a righteous judge. He is a judge who will one day be righteous to judge you for your sins, for the ways in which you have violated His holiness, His laws, and His standards. Friend, God is a God of love, but He's also a God of blazing holiness. And God says that He will judge those who remain hardened and steadfast in their sin. Friend, there is only one way, the Bible says, for you to change that disposition between you and God. There's only one way that you and I can have the relationship changed from one of a judge to having God as a loving Father. And friend, that is to accept the Savior that God sent for you, and that is His Son, Jesus Christ. God loves sinners like us so much that He would not leave us in our brokenness. The Bible says He sent Jesus to come down to earth to be our Savior. And Jesus died on the cross. Jesus took the penalty that our sins deserved in order that anyone, anyone who would humbly turn away from their sin and then reach out to Jesus in believing faith, the Bible says that person will be forgiven. And that person will then be welcomed into God's family. 
And that Christian will then receive the loving protection and guidance and care of God all the way from that moment all the way into eternity. Friend, if you're here today, if God is speaking to your heart about your soul's need, then come to Jesus. Turn from your sins with a humble heart and turn to Jesus and say, Lord Jesus, I know that you died for me and I can't save myself. I can't forgive myself. I can't take away my own guilt. I can't take away my own judgment. Oh, Jesus, only you can do that. Friend, I pray today would be the day that you would call out to the Lord Jesus, accept him as your savior, and that way God could then become the loving father, the provider, the protector for you that we read about in Psalm 121. Well, believers, as we close our time today in Psalm 121, I sure hope that your, your soul today has, has found a fresh boost of encouragement. I hope you've found some rejoicing today. I hope you've found confidence and assurance. I hope you've laid hold of some new comfort about God's intense love and His concern for you. Oh, what joy is here for us in Psalm 121 that God is with us on our life's journey. You know, family, how many people today have a, a favorite song that they come back to again and again and again? Why do they do it? They come back for the way that that song speaks to their heart. Well, friend, as you leave this place today, I hope you will take this song with you. The song of Psalm 121. Sing this song. Sing this song this week to the one who helps you keeps you. He protects you. He preserves you. He will do these things from this time forth until forevermore. Oh friend, what a song. What a song. My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Thanks for listening. This preaching for a change broadcast has been brought to you by the Grace Baptist Church of Hazleton, Pennsylvania. For more information, visit us online at mygracebaptist.church. If you enjoyed this broadcast, then share it with a friend on your favorite social media network. And be sure to join us next time for more enlightening and encouraging biblical exposition here on Preaching for a Change.